Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. It says a lot that you even have the collaboration spirit. Like I'm figuring this out on my own. And I also know my limitations as far as me having to be at work every single day, traveling a lot, not being around all the time. I don't want to take on something like that myself. And so I would rather have 34% of something successful than 100% of something that's not working. Angela Yee is a hip-hop and radio legend. She's interviewed every major name in the industry, while also blazing trails as an entrepreneur with brands like Private Label Extensions, Juices for Life BK, and Coffee Uplifts People. Today, Angela will be talking to us about real estate, relationship building, and how to get a business off the ground. This is Assets Over Liabilities on Revolt. Hey, Sorry if you guys are waiting on me. No, 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 you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. No. And I got so many things going on, so I'm excited. I, I think you're gonna love it. It's gonna be a great conversation. Angela Yee, thank you for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes. This, should we put we, Hall of Fame Angela Yee in front of her name now? Yes. We only did to. stuff on Zoom together, so it's nice to be. Well, nah, we just but, no, for your you. show. For your show. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Not for the Breakfast Club. Yeah. I feel like people might not fully understand everything that you have going on because they see you on the Breakfast Club so much. But outside the Breakfast Club, you got so much stuff going on. So I feel like this is going to be a dope conversation because I don't think you really get a chance to really highlight that publicly. A lot. I wanna. I wanna actually start at the beginning, because I know obviously you're from Brooklyn, and you started with one of the most iconic groups in music history, not just rap history, music history. Oh, yeah. The Wu Tang Clan. So, talk about that as far Still got as. Got it. Got my W. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about your start working with the Wu and, and what that taught you and how that prepared you for where you are now. Well, first is I interned there when I was in college, when I was at Wesleyan. I did an internship in Staten Island at Wu-Tang Management on Bay Street. And when I graduated from college, they actually, my boss there tried to get me to, it was my junior year going into my senior year. He tried to get me to drop out of college and come work there. And I was like, I think I'm going to just at least finish this last year and then, you know, check back with you. And so I graduated, and then I ended up working for Wu-Tang Corporation with the CEO, Divine. I was his personal assistant. Well, That's Riz's brother, right? Yeah, Riz's yeah. brother, Divine. I was his assistant. And it was an amazing experience. I always say the reason why I knew so many people in the industry at such a young age was because I worked at Wu-Tang, because all the guys were on different labels. Mm -hmm. And so it really did 
help me. You know, in the Dave Chappelle where they like diversify your bonds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they really diversified, like, yeah. you know, one artist is on Loud Records, somebody's on Def Jam, somebody's on Electra, somebody's on Epic. They have a deal with Priority Records. They have, you know, MCA Records. And so they were having different situations and deals all over the place and just so much money coming in from different areas. And so that really taught me a lot early on. Yeah, that's interesting, because when you think of the Wu, obviously, Powell and Devon, most people may not know who they are, but Devon's kind of like the business mind, uh, in a sense. So being around that, did you pick up some of the, the jewels that he was given at the time, because as he's dealing with these things? I definitely did. It was interesting, because when I went to go work there, I had an opportunity to work at a label. And my friend was working at the label. My best friend, she was working at Sony, um, Santi, Santi Gold. And she told me, Angela, go work there instead. She was like, don't come here because they'll have you in a position where you'll be an assistant forever. They don't want you to learn. They don't want you to surpass them. So you'll just be answering the phone and scheduling meetings. She was like, take that job. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay. And I took that job. And I think it did really prepare me for so much because I was in charge of payroll. So that was a finance thing. And Devine used to always call me a human calculator because I was really good at calculating numbers in my head all the time. And I still do that because like, I can go shopping and see 30% <laughs> off, and I could calculate the 8.25% sales tax and know exactly what something's about to cost. And so um, you know, it was that. It was organizing studio time. It was just being in charge of a lot of uh, different things. And I remember Method Man was buying a house. And so that was my first experience, like trying to figure out how to put together stuff for a mortgage. It was a lot of different things that I didn't realize I was learning, but I was. So like now that you're putting together for a mortgage, is this the first time you're in understanding what it is to actually get a house when you gotta get the preparation for it, you gotta get tax forms, mm -hmm. you gotta get bank account records. This is the first time you're actually coming in contact with that. I mean, well, I bought my first house um, eight years ago. And what really helped me do that was Santi, again, she, we used to live together. She was my roommate. Yeah. And so when she was buying her house, I went with her like to go look at houses. So I was learning that whole process from watching her. I didn't have the money um, when she first did it you know, to do that myself. But going with her to look at houses, it helped me learn what to look for, what to ask for. Um, certain things I didn't even think to do, like to get an inspector to come and look at everything before I put in my offer. All of those things that I learned from her, she was like, no, you have to get an inspection. No, you have to make sure you do this. Mm -hmm. And so that was my first experience. And it was a lot. Like getting a mortgage is really giving up so much information, making sure that you have your, your taxes have to be done mm -hmm. because you can't even apply for that unless you have your taxes done, you know, for the previous two or three years. Having all your bank statements together, making sure that you have everything that you need in order to get it. And making sure your credit is right, because I think that's the number one thing that people struggle with. Yeah. So let me ask you this. As far as fast forwarding a little bit, you was actually writing um, for artist biographies? Yeah, I did write artist. That was my side hustle when I was working. For $500? Yeah, I got paid. I did a few artist bios, and I even did some press shots, because I did photography in college, and then I was an English major. And so when I graduated, I thought I would be a photographer and a writer. I had this grand idea that I would be a temp and have a regular nine to five and then be like super creative outside of that. But I worked as a temp for two days and I quit. It was awful. Biographies or bios? Bios. Like, bios. Like yeah, the not one, a whole like, book, uh, just like right. an artist's like, bio. Like the like one page. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm about to say, $500 for a biography. No, not for a whole book. Where can we sign her up at? Sign her up. <laughs> sign her up. I guarantee you it won't be that good, anybody. <laughs> so, I mean, 
how did you even, what do you even think of doing something like that? Because that's something that's very practical, but that's not something that the average person would even think about. This is a viable business here. I think what it was is one of, um, somebody who worked with me, she was a publicist. And so it was her idea. She would be like, oh, do you think you could write a bio for this artist? And so then I just became known as the person that could write bios for people. Yeah, who, who, who's the biggest bio that you had to write? Um, back then, it was for Buckshot. You Buckshot? Know, Brooklyn, oh, yeah. Brooklyn's Buck, own. Yeah, I wrote Buckshot his bio. Shorty. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wrote some articles. I actually did a cover story for Vibe magazine before, and that was on MMG. So I did that. And then I did a story for YRB on Machine Gun Kelly. That was a cover story, too. So at what point, so you're, you're behind the scenes as far as writing, as far as working with Wu-Tang and, and dealing with the labels. When did you transition to be in front of the camera, like in the role that you're in now? Well, it started off because aside from that, I worked in marketing. And so I really was trying to get a job doing marketing at Sirius when they first launched Eminem Station Shade 45. Mm -hmm. And so I asked Paul Rosenberg, Eminem's manager, to just hook me up with an interview just so I could get my foot in the door and at least get interviewed. And so he suggested that I audition for the morning show. And he told me it's not guaranteed that you'll get the position, but you can at least audition. And it's up to them if they decide to keep you. And so it was like a three-month process of me just showing up every morning, doing the show like I worked there for a salary, but I wasn't getting paid anything. I was just working and trying to get better. And then it wasn't until um, we did an interview with Jay-Z and Memphis Bleak and Young Chris, and we walked out of it. It was such a great interview that they hired me like on the spot. So that's why Jay-Z would be like, I'm responsible for your career. <laughs> because it was, it was when he was becoming president of Def Jam. And so he was doing press around that. And yeah. I was at Sirius and I was walking into the bathroom and he was walking out of the men's bathroom. They're right across from each other. And he was like, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm about to interview you. He said, don't fuck this up. <laughs> and you didn't. That's it. This is like yeah. 2006, I feel like. It was, yeah, I don't even know how long ago. It had to be about almost 18 years ago. And then everything changes when you get them Breakfast Club. Yeah, so Breakfast Club started almost 12 years ago. And when I got that opportunity, you know, I was lucky in radio. I've never had to leave New York. A lot of times when you work in radio, you end up going from market to market just because you want to make sure that you're on the air. And sometimes people end up having to do, like, you know, overnight shifts and things like that. But I just started off on a morning show as serious. And some people were so mad about that. Like, why did she get that? And... I get it, it probably wasn't really fair. But I did have a, a great background as far as my relationships with people from marketing and from being an assistant. And the first week I started um, auditioning there was actually when Old Dirty Bastard passed away. And so- Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. 
So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Nobody was getting any exclusives, and I managed to get Jizza on the phone, you know, just to express himself real quick. And then everybody from All the Serious was rushing over, like, do you think we could get a phone? I was like, no, I would never, you know, do that. I just got this just because it's a personal relationship. So at at All Serious and obviously at the Breakfast Club, you said you got signed, right, to a, a salary or a contract. How were those contracts based on, <laughs> they like by the year? Like, how are they... How do they structure something in radio? Well, Sirius is really different from other places because I didn't have a for real contract. I don't know if they, when I first started, my salary was so small to be on a morning show. And their explanation was because I had never done it before. For the Breakfast Club? No, for Sirius. Straight 45. Yeah, so when I first started, it, they gave me $50,000 a year to work there. They gave me that to teach. They, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's a morning show, yeah, so nah, you're thinking yeah, like, I already had been established. I was 28 years old. Mm -hmm. So I already had been working and making like more money, way more money than that. You know, that yeah. was like, I had, I had made that earlier on in my career, but I was making more than that. And I had so many bills to pay and expenses to take on. And so it was tough for me to agree to do that. You know, I still have my student loans. I have my rent. You know, I had um, my car. It's just expensive to live in New York in general. Yeah. And so that was a, a tough time for me because I also, you got to think when I first started, I was also working without getting paid for three weeks, I mean for three months. Yeah. So that's a long period of time to not make any money. In addition to all the bills were piling up, but I was really trying to get my foot in the door. Yeah, and so you, you, you took the pay cut to say, all right, this opportunity could lead to something bigger. Yeah, I felt like it was a great opportunity and that they were taking a chance on me in a way because mm -hmm. I, I really hadn't ever done it before. And so I did approach them after the first year for a raise, though. And sometimes it's hard when you start off really low to try to get your... Because, you know, I had read an article about black women not negotiating their salaries, and women in general, the way that we should. Mm -hmm. And sometimes somebody offers you something and you just take it. And you're like, okay, great, when do I start? And I kind of did that in that situation, but I definitely, after I read that article was like, I'm gonna go back in there and advocate for myself and ask for more money. So they did give me a raise. I got 75,000 and they gave me a $10,000 bonus, okay. you know, after that. But that's because I had been there for a year. I had proven that I was going to be around and I was really doing the work. And most importantly, you asked. Yeah, and I asked. And sometimes you have to ask. Like, we think that, okay, they're just gonna hand you a salary because you're doing great. You could walk around really bitter thinking, how come I'm not making more money, but you never asked to make more money? Because Usually your employer is not going to be like, you know what, I just want to give you a raise. You've been doing so great. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you get like a 2 or 3% raise a year just as a standard. But I really went in there and, you know, they agreed that I was, I was doing, and they also started me so low. It was like, all right, give, give her a 50% raise. So, okay, let's talk about this Breakfast Club situation because I read Charlemagne's book and he said um, when he signed his contract, he didn't read it. He was like, he didn't care what it was. He just wanted, he was, I think he was coming from being fired from Whitney Williams or South Carolina. Something. He was, I think was, he got fired in Philly. Philly, yeah. Because they tried to hire me at that station okay. after he got fired. Yeah, so he was just like, he was just like, this is a no-brainer. Obviously, nobody thought, I don't know if you did think or not, I shouldn't say obviously, but you probably didn't think that it would become what it is now for 12 years running, like the biggest platform that we have, Radio Hall of Fame and all that. So when you first did the deal with iHeart, Looking back on it in hindsight, was it a fair deal? How did you feel about it? Like, what was the deal with that? My deal wasn't bad. 
Because uh, I had a job already at Sirius. I had my own morning show. And so in order for them to get me to come over there, I was actually the last person to sign my contract. And so they had sent me my contract. And from what I understand, they were waiting all day like by the, the fax machine for me to send over my signed contract. But I wanted to make sure I was comfortable with it. I had my lawyer look at it. So you did read it? I definitely. And okay. I had my lawyer look at it. I sent over <laughs> things that I wanted to change. Yeah. I'm very big into... Look, I, don't, I haven't done all the best deals, but I definitely, when it comes to something like that, will always have a lawyer look at it. An employment contract, for sure. Like, if it's just a booking for something, I can handle that myself, like a two-page contract. But when it comes to something that is that major, I definitely have my lawyers look at it. And they sent it back. I remember I was recording lip service that night at Sirius. It was 8 o'clock at night, and that's when I sent it over. And they really waited at the station all day for me to finally send the contract back over. But I wanted to make sure it was good. The big deal. How, how long was the first contract for? It was two years with the um, third year option. So how many contracts have you signed with them since? So <laughs> interestingly enough, after that, we got um, a weekend syndicated show. And I was in Turks and Caicos on vacation. <laughs> and iHeart was trying to get me to sign a new contract while I was there because it would include the weekend syndicated show. But they wanted me to sign a contract that would be for another two years with no raise or nothing, just or three years flat. And I wouldn't do it. And I remember I was on vacation, I started crying. Because I was like, first of all, why are they doing this to me on vacation? They were telling me if I didn't sign it, like the deal would go away. And so I told them, I, I was like, well, aren't we doing a good job? And they were like, yeah. And I said, so why would you give me a contract with no raise that would stay flat for three years. I don't want to sign that. And so I told them they'll have to find somebody else to replace me. I just didn't want to do that. And so they ended up just doing an addendum to the contract. And then I got to keep that one. And then I signed another one the next year. And then, actually, my contract is up now. Is it? It's been up since December. Breaking news. So you're away. working without a contract right now? I had done extensions. So I, every month, like, until oh. we work out this new deal. OK, OK. So that, that weekend syndication, that Obviously, you're on from Monday to Friday, but the weekend syndication, that's just an addition, or is that like... Yeah, it's an addition. So we have, like, a countdown show. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so it's just a countdown show, but we started off with that. Okay. And I, that, that was to get other markets comfortable with hearing our voices on the radio. Yeah. And then, after that, that's when we got the syndication. The, our first market was Milwaukee. So now the show becomes nationally syndicated. Now, since it's not just New York, obviously, I'm thinking, does the rate that you're asking for has to go up because now you're a larger audience, yes or no? How's so the way that that works is um, with the syndication, you get like different shares in markets. So you get, we get paid quarterly mm. for that. So we have our regular base and then depending on... The performance yeah. of the different markets, you mm -hmm. get rev share type. So Dame Dash, I think that's probably my favorite interview that you guys have ever done. And I think it, it really change the culture as far as financial literacy. Definitely. People either hated it or loved it at the time. Changed my life. <laughs> but I also feel, I saw a lot of you guys' business models change a little bit after that. Is, did that have anything? Because I saw like Envy getting heavy into real estate, Charlemagne with his podcast network and a variety of other things. I know you got the, the juices for life and real estate and all that. How did you feel about that interview in the moment? And did you think it would have the ripple effects mm -hmm. that it had on the culture and in the world of business? 
Well, one thing Damon Dash knows how to do is market. <laughs> and, you know, and he's great at talking about things and making you see his point of view. And I didn't completely agree with a lot of it because I don't feel like because you work for a company, that's a bad thing. You know, when I was younger, when I was in college, I wanted to be a teacher. And so I think that certain people who, and as we saw during the pandemic, some of the most important people were those, you know, people we take for granted. And so I don't necessarily think that if that's what you want to do, that makes you like not motivated or whatever. I think everybody has their own path. And I think we all answer to somebody too. You know, we can say that like we're all independent and uh, we're entrepreneurs and we're this, but you still always have somebody that you're kind of having to, you know, do stuff. Whether you get funding from someone and you have to answer for that, or you have customers that you have to answer to. Like no matter what, we're all in some type of service to other people. And so I didn't completely agree with a lot of things that he said, but I understand and I encourage people who want to be entrepreneurs to do it. It's a huge responsibility. And everybody's not in the position, I feel like, you know, at certain points in their life to do that. So if you can, it's great. But for some people, it's not for them. Did you ever think, when he was saying, like, you guys could do this on your own, y'all don't need iHeart, and y'all could da 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 did y'all ever have a conversation, like, maybe he's actually right? Maybe we can actually, when our contract is up, actually do this without having iHeart? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. Well, no, you I don't have think. It. Yeah, because it, look, it's the same reason why people sign to a label or they do a book deal through a publishing company, because you want the support of that company that has all the satellites and all of the different uh, cities. You know, that has the marketing staff, that has the team in places, that has other shows on the network, that has an audience, that has budgets, that has all of those things. Um, so I don't. I don't think we ever discussed, like, we should leave, you know, and do it ourselves because yeah. that's a big responsibility. I think even for artists, people always talk about staying independent. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And that works for some artists. That's great if you can have a team of people, if you have a following, if you can figure it out, if you know how to do certain things yourself. But for some people, they're like, I just want to do my music, and I want you know the label to help me make sure that my stuff is uploaded on all the streaming services, and that they put together a promotional tour for me, that I get you know a nice advance to take care of my family or whatever it is that I have going on, you know that I need to handle because it does take money to do certain things, and if you don't have that capital to do it. You know, if you can't find funding for it, then I don't think it's a bad thing to go whatever route you need to. So, I mean, while you're doing The Breakfast Club, obviously you you have your focus on other things as well. Mm -hmm. And so you had a successful podcast, a bunch of successful businesses. You'll you be it. on the podcast soon, you guys, yeah. Uh, two years and still waiting. Yeah, we're still waiting for that. Right? <laughs> different, different story. I mean, we came to your show and everything, but that's another story. <laughs> um, so, you, real estate, obviously, you got some, uh, the Juices for Life business. Did you have that entrepreneurial spirit when you started your venture in, into radio, or is that something you learn from interviewing guests? I, I know one of the advantages we have is we sit down with so many people that we learn every time we talk to somebody and we hear ideas and we're like, then we can execute on this. And we have the resource of the person now that we sat with them to use them as an, a tool to help us get into this, this field. Which approach were you? You had the entrepreneurial spirit or did you learn as you were going? I think I kind of did have a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit just because 
of the little side hustles I did when I was younger. And then there was a point in time where I didn't work at one place, but I was consulting for like six different companies at a time. Mm. And so I was making my own schedule and running, but I didn't really have a name for it. I was just a consultant, but I was really working for myself. Like I didn't have to be anywhere. I was getting a check from each of these companies every month and making really good money doing it. And so I think part of the reason that the first venture that I did was the juice bar was because I finally had some money too. And so one of my things was I always wanted to make sure, I used to be scared that I would never have enough money to buy a house and then I would be thinking like, how will I ever retire? And so once I bought my first house and I was comfortable with that, and then I was, cause I, look, people would tell you like, you can just not drink that cup of coffee every day. You could just, you know, cut out the dinners and do all of that. But sometimes you just need to make more money. And so, <laughs> facts. yeah, like yeah, that's the simplest solution. I'm yeah. not making enough money. Yeah. And so I started making more money. I was doing a lot of side gigs and, you know, other things like that. So I had money in the bank and that's what really made me become an entrepreneur. Just being able to have money to invest yeah. in something because I didn't have that before. Yeah, so now you have the money. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what to do with the money. Yes, exactly. Because I always feel nervous if I have too much money in the bank. Good problem. Yeah, but I, I also feel like it's, it's a waste. Like it's not doing anything. You're not earning anything. Yeah, so like you can't just have your money sitting in the bank. Like I'll save up money for it. And when I hit a certain goal, I know I have to do something with it. And so every year I try to do something, whether it's, you know, get another property or invest in another business. So every year I make it a goal of mine, if not one thing, you know, at least multiple things. But I make sure that I'm always like trying to do things and don't have money just sitting around not working. So let's talk about the Shoes for Life situation. Um, our guy Styles. Shout out Styles. Mm -hmm. And Kiss. Um, what made you want to partner with them? And, and open the Juices for Life in, in Brooklyn, I believe it's in Brooklyn, right? Well, I juice all the time. And so, but I think it was an educational journey for me on what juices were good and what weren't. So sometimes people will think, I, like I was drinking these strawberry banana smoothies, you know, thinking I was doing something and not knowing that it was like pure rage strawberries and, yeah. you know, apple juice. <laughs> all kinds and all of sugar, sugar in your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all these artificial sugars. And so once I found that out, I was like, okay. And then I saw what Styles and, and Jadakiss are doing in Yonkers and in the Bronx, you know, with their juices. And then I went to the juice bar to just to go study it and see what it was like and see how everybody there knew what they were talking about. You know, sometimes you can go to a juice bar and ask questions. They have no idea. Like, yeah, what, which number do you want? Yeah. And you're like, well, what's fruits. it? And yeah. like, I always look to see, is it whole fruits and vegetables that you guys are using? Because you can't have a small stand like, you know, this big and think that you're getting fresh. Where is it? Where you, because it takes a lot of space, you know, refrigeration to store that stuff. And so I went to see how it worked, and then I decided I wanted to do it. And um, Styles just gave me his blessing to go find a location, and I did in Brooklyn. So how's how's the partnership work? Like, you guys are fifty fifty partners. You and you envy is a part of it too, right? Yeah, we each have a third. Okay. And you envy. I think I might have thirty four. Thirty four. <laughs> One up. Because <laughs> I'm in Brooklyn, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm yeah. probably, I'm the most hands-on one in that, in the Brooklyn one. Only. But it says a lot that you even have the collaboration spirit and not try to just do it on your, they already have a proven model in place, mm -hmm. Kissing Styles. And um, I think it's dope that you can, you know, use the name, license out the name, and it's like a franchise model almost. Yeah. But I think that collaboration spirit, especially in hip hop, is something that, you know, is a dope situation. Yeah, we saw it in hip-hop, now we see it in business. And so 
that venture, does, is that what inspired one of your newest things with the coffee uplifts? Yeah, I think for me with that one in particular, I don't, I couldn't, I don't think if, I would have been successful if I did it without Styles, mm -hmm. just because he already knew where he was getting the fruits and vegetables from. He had all the vendors that he was getting his products from, and even just as far as knowing what to buy, the fridge, where to get that from, the blenders, all of that, having people that could come repair things because they break all the time. And so things like that, I just felt like, and also I just liked what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's more powerful for me to say, I'm doing this with Styles P than for me to just be like, I'm figuring this out on my own. And I also know my limitations as far as me having to be at work every single day, traveling a lot, not being around all the time. I don't want to take on something like that myself. And so I would rather have 34% of something successful than 100% of something that's not working. That's a major key right there. Oh, major key. Oh um, let's talk about real estate. Mm -hmm. I know you're passionate about real estate. <laughs> when did you get it? Was it Detroit? That well, my first house was in Brooklyn, and that's a two-family house. And I did that intentionally just because I was like, okay, God forbid I get fired from my job. I want to make sure that I have some income coming in so that it helped me pay the mortgage. And so that was very intentional for me to buy uh, a first property that also was bringing in some income. And so then after that, I did get three different properties in Detroit. And um, one of them we got from the land bank. And so we paid $1,000 for that one because on the land bank, they auction off houses every day. Yeah. And so somehow no one bid on this house. So got that house. Uh, that was the first one I flipped. Then I have another house that I bought for $25,000 that I still have now. And then I have a third one that I bought for $45,000 that I actually um, just sold, and we should be closing next week. How much? The one you have for $25,000 and the one that you just sold, how much was? How much is the one that was worth now? How much did you sell it for? We sold it for three fifty. So and you got it for forty five thousand, sold it for. And then we spent about maybe like seventy five thousand fixing it up. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what about the one that you still have? How much is that worth? I'm holding on to that. So, but it's probably worth about maybe a little less than four hundred thousand now. Yes. So you've had it for years. Yeah. You've renovated. Do you have property management teams out there that handle it? Because obviously you're in New York, you're in Brooklyn, so who's watching those properties while you're here? Well, what was great was the realtor that actually sold the house for me. He helped do a lot of things also. So he has, he has a team of people that rehabs houses. Mm -hmm. That's how it works for him. So knowing that he's getting his cut also gave him the incentive to make sure that it got uh, you know, renovated properly. And so it was a win-win situation. He gets paid. Because, look, you can ask people to do stuff for you. They don't care that much if they're not invested in it. When people are invested and he knows the more that money that this goes for, the more money I get. You know, so I gave him a higher percentage for selling it because he was the person in charge of getting everything renovated. So also another dope story that I've heard you tell before is that the house, that, I think the house that you're in now is a multifamily home, right, in mm -hmm. Brooklyn? And um, you rent out the bottom level, right? Yeah. So talk about that because that's something that is extremely important as far as we talk about that a lot. Um, shout out to MG the Mortgage Guy, where it's like buy multifamily homes so you can rent it out and actually have cash flow that can actually pay for your mortgage or even make money on the home as opposed to just having a single family home, which could actually be a liability if you're not making any money on it. Yeah, I, and you know, that's true. So it's interesting in Brooklyn, I have two two family homes. One of them is being renovated um, now, and then the uh, other property I have in Brooklyn is a condo. But I got such a great deal on the condo that I couldn't pass it up. And I tell you, it is the easiest thing I've done. 
you know, it definitely makes me money and I pay those fees every single month, but the rent covers the fees plus, you know, what, and the mortgage is already paid off. And so, and it had a tax abatement on top of it. And so it's already worth 250,000 more than what I paid for it two years ago. And so it was a good investment. And I know people do say multifamilies, you know, are a better investment, but it kind of depends on what you want to do with it. And that day was so good that I felt like I couldn't pass it up just because I got it under the value because it was a special deal that was only for eight of the units in the building. So that's why I did it. But I also didn't put anything into it. Like it was turnkey. Mm -hmm. And so that helps too, because I tell you that renovating is really tough. Like from my experience having to do that in Detroit and my experience doing that in Brooklyn, you know, getting the right contractor. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles? And a breakfast cutoff. Ba da ba ba ba. It definitely always costs way more money than you expect, and it definitely takes longer than you ever anticipated, and it's such a headache. And so, for me to get a turnkey place, which we'll talk about it, I'm sure I just got another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that to me was really simple for me. So that worked out for me good because I didn't have to put any money into it, and it already appreciated in value, and it's paid for. So with everything you got going on, are you actively looking for deals or are people approaching you with deals at this level? I think it's a mixture of both. You know, I, like for instance, right now, I just, and you know this because I sent it to you, I yeah, just yeah. got another property in the Catskills that I'm going to Airbnb. And like we're literally closing on it like probably next week also. But I did that with my realtor. And so for me, she was a great person for me to partner up with because she'll be in charge of making sure that it gets rented out. There's a management company taking care of it and everything that we need to do. And then I'll help with the marketing of it. And we're just partners on it. And I just think for myself, it's easier for me to have partners on things than for me to have to have the full responsibility. But that's just my situation. If all I did was real estate, then I probably could do a lot more things by myself. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this um, app. That oh. I heard that you are your owner in the app? Yeah, so it's called Stellar. And so it's Stellar Cred. And so the guy who founded it, Lamine, he also founded Joust Bank, and then um, which was really successful. He sold that. And so now he's the founder of this, and he raised $7 million before we even launched. And, um, you know, he's definitely a fintech guy that people love, and he's great at what he does. And so I'm invested into that too now. But what I like about it is it's about credit. Remember I was talking about how important credit is when you're trying to buy a home. Mm -hmm. And so with this app, you're able to improve your credit. And what they do is they pay your bills for you every month and they report it to the credit bureaus. But they also report everything. Like if it's your gym membership, if it's your you know, uh, Netflix, all the things that normally might not get reported, to the credit bureaus, they take everything, all your bills, and report all of those to increase your score. How did you get introduced to that? You know, I do this thing called Wealth Wednesdays, and my partner, Stacey Tisdale, she's the person that introduced me to Lamine. We had him on the show. I was impressed by him. And he said it actually being on the show really helped with Joust Bank. And so after that, he was like, he understood the power of it. So they actually approached us to be involved in the app. And so it was, yeah, that was the combination of it. And I get approached to do a lot of things, but I don't do them all because you can't. You can't just do something because it's there for you. You have to really pick and choose things that you're passionate about and that you believe in. And so I believed in I believe in Lamine and I believe in that app. And so I'm excited about it because it's launching next month. Yeah. 
is angel investing something that you want to do and like on a more broad scale we see like Nas doing his thing and a bunch of other people of course Jay and you know it's become real popular in hip-hop that's something that you want to do more is startup companies yeah absolutely I don't have the money that they have <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I know everything else, but I don't have like that, you know, I don't have it like that yet. So, but I'm trying to get there. You know, that's the goal always, like to have all that passive income. Because like, I'm really thinking this Airbnb, the way I calculated it, even if we only rent it out five days out of the month, it'll pay for the whole month. Yeah, you, you've obviously had this vision. Like we said, we, we spoke about the Airbnb situation. It's incredible. And you said every year you're trying to find a new business. Um, but I know the newest one you entered was the coffee business. Oh, yeah, yeah. So can we talk about that? I mean, <laughs> Let's not forget that. You, you, went, you went from juices, and now you have coffee <laughs> in Brooklyn. Talk about the inspiration behind that. So Coffee Uplifts People was something I came up with during the pandemic. And so the way it started was we went to a meeting at Brooklyn Roasting. The meeting was really trying to find a space to store our pressed juices, drink fresh juice. And so we were looking for some place to do refrigeration for them locally. You know, uh, Brooklyn Roasting is based in Brooklyn Navy Yard. And so we went there for that. And then the conversation turned to, why don't you start your own coffee company? And after doing my research, because I'm really big on, you know, research and all of that, I was really studying, like, the coffee industry and how coffee is really marketed here to middle-aged white men. And a lot of times we don't feel like coffee's for us. Like, I know a lot of people will be like, I don't drink coffee. You know, that's, do you guys drink coffee? Um, no. See? Not for us. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how we feel, yeah, right? True. But also, coffee was started in Ethiopia. So it really is our thing. You know, it was just something that they took from us. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was important because everywhere where coffee beans are grown is black and brown places. And so why do we feel like that's not our thing? And why don't we have more money, you know, based off of that? It's the second largest um, import here mm -hmm. after oil is coffee. And so why wouldn't we be involved in that business? We should benefit from it. And so really the part of the reason why I did it was because I wanted to make a change and I wanted to make sure even like with the farmers and with the exporters and everything that women and black people are more involved and people of color, period. So let me ask you this. Um, let's get back to this Airbnb situation. I know you said that you're a very calculated person when it comes to the math. Can you, can you break down the math a little bit and your head why you thought that you know, the Airbnb was going to be a good idea? Um, I just think, well, first of all, what we've noticed, and because my realtor knows a lot of other people who obviously are realtors, and they have property in the Catskills also, mm -hmm. she saw how their rental properties are going crazy right now. People want to just drive someplace to get away, you know? And even if they're going with their family or on a retreat for work, everybody's trying to find places that they could just drive to. And so, like, a couple of people we know, their Airbnbs are rented out already, like, throughout June, you know, nonstop. And it's a really busy market and a busy time for that, and it's affordable. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it kind of felt like a no-brainer. And we did a lot of research. We went to go look at many different places. One of them I put an offer in on, and it ended up going for 500000 above the asking price, all 500000 above asking price? Yes, all cash. That does, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and the cat skills? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. And you know what? I wanted it, but then now that I look back at it, I feel like it was better that we didn't get it because there was no garage and it, they didn't have a lot of land. The house was, itself was beautiful, but there was no basement for storage, but it was just an amazing house that was like built from scratch that no one had lived in yet. But it also, no place to put a pool if you wanted to, and it was really close to the house next door. So I feel like it worked out better because the one I got is like on nine acres, you know, it's seven bedrooms. It's in the state. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And we could build another house on the property if we wanted to. And so I feel like it was a more practical decision. And I feel like a lot of people had buyer's remorse during the pandemic because everybody was overbidding on things. People were buying things sight unseen, way inflated, and then regretting it later. Mm. And so I do feel like, you know, I also know my cap. I'm like, if I can't get it at this price and they offered 500000 more, you got it. It wasn't worth that to me. So is that going to be your approach? I mean, this is just the first, I'm sure, of many. Is that going to be your approach? Buy the property, Airbnb? Because I know a lot of people will rent or they'll lease and sublease the property and make money off the Airbnb method. Is that going to be your approach going forward or it will it be subject to the city and the location of the place that you're doing it? I think it'll be subject because I also am getting something in Miami. <laughs> and in Miami, it's a lot more strict. Yes. Right? Yeah. It has to be like, um, I think you can only do it three times a month for a minimum of 30 days each time. And so these are like long, because they don't want people coming in and out of these like luxury buildings. But I love luxury real estate more than anything. Like I know some people do real estate just because they want to make a profit, flip it, and not even have their name on it. But I like stuff that like, this is my property. You can see it. I'm proud of it. And I just like that. Like even if you see a, the juice bar, when I first did the juice bar, every, the guys all thought it was so funny because I had like chandeliers hanging in there. I have, um, you know, gold wallpaper, black toilet, like a couch, like from Restoration Hardware. And I, the way that I did it was like a living room. Mm. And so I really enjoy like the interior design aspect of it too. And really great architecture. I appreciate it. That's why I love brownstones in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And I like trying to preserve certain details about it. I love like exposed brick and wooden floors and just all of those details that I feel like make that a beautiful home to me. Very so you, you obviously, every year is a new business and we know one that's this year. What are we looking forward to in the next, let's say 2023? What's a business that you, you've got your eye on now that you're already doing the research on, you're formulating <laughs> the plan? Well, the coffee business is what's really big for me now and the plan is to start franchising. Uh, and so I do wanna open two more locations and then we want to do the franchise. And so that's what the plan is. And that's really like where my focus is and the press juices also. I want to make sure, you know, the press juice, I was having a lot of issues with the drink fresh juice because of supply. And they're not easy to make because it's all juice, they're organic, you know, and sometimes like just people are like, these are difficult concoctions to make up, but I've managed to find some place to get it done now. And um, so those will be back in a couple of weeks. So I'm grateful for that. But I want to get that in places too because my plan is to put those in my franchises also. And then even with the coffee company, I'm going to do, I, I want to start doing express ones too so that we could put it inside a location that already exists. Yeah. So like in Juices for Life in Brooklyn, in the front will be a cup express. And so I want to start that model too so that It'll be way less overhead for us. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. I was just thinking that because a lot of times people talk about the profit margins in coffee, but a lot of people make more money when it's the express situation where yeah. they, they can order it digitally, come get it, and move on. Yeah. Are you, are you, ha does it, you have plans to have it as coffee and bistro and offer food and or is, is that not part of the model well we have food at the um the location in okay. brooklyn so we have and it's all black and brown on businesses that we have our food from nice. and so we have these amazing vegan patties and we have like um 
you know, chicken salad toast. We have sandwiches. We have veggie sandwiches. Uh, we have all kinds of croissants and cookies. We have all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so the express one is probably going to have a way more limited menu, right, right, right. but we'll have things there too. So when you came on a legendary Market Monday show, you had said something that was very interesting where you use uh, your reward points from credit cards to buy, to buy things. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you know, I'm really big on my points and my miles. And let me tell you something. I guard those. My, listen, <laughs> I guess so. I, I don't know if you guys watch Black, what is, no, not Blackish, um, Black AF. Oh, and okay. she was going crazy over like her um, her points or her M. I was like, that's me, because mm. I really like hoard my points. And so what I do now is on my MX card, I hoard my my points, and I get credit. I get um, gift cards. So like, say for my new house, I'll get gift cards to Restoration Hardware. And so I might buy everything, put it on a card, and then get those points, and then I get a two thousand dollar gift card. And then now I can buy you know some things that I need, and it's like I got it for free. Mm. And I pay those bills off every single month. So it's never a balance on them, so it's no loss. So instead of me using my bank card, I'd rather use my credit card and then pay the credit card off and then be able to utilize you know, my miles and my points to get gift cards and all of that. They got West Elm on there. Neiman Marcus, I, I said I bought my first Louis Vuitton bag and I bought my first Chanel bag using my points. And that was, it's interesting because four months ago, uh, we had did the, no, just, four months ago we had did the Breast Club and right after we were talking about investments and assets and uh, we were talking about bags and you're yeah. like, no, they're assets, sure they're assets. And I'm like, yeah, they are assets. And uh, you sent me the link, right? I think New York Times wrote an article about how Chanel bags. So I'm like, all right. But, so I went and purchased it and then like the next, when we met a few weeks later, it was like the bags had gone up by $3,500. Yeah. Uh, they appreciate it over yeah, time. And it was like, let's just keep these things going. And it was like, oh, this is perfect. Because most people don't think of them. They're like, oh, this is a nice bag. But you had that mindset right there. Like, no, nah, this is Well, that's asset. really just an excuse. I know. But <laughs> it works. <You> know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and look, you, you know, that resale market, depending on what it is, can be really, really crazy for mm -hmm. you. Like certain things, you know, look, I've gotten sneakers and sold a pair of sneakers that I never wore, you know, for $4,500 at StockX. I mean, I feel like during the pandemic, especially last year, with everything, the supply chain issue, luxury items went through the roof for the resale market. Watches. Yeah, and then it went back down and people were pissed that they spent that much money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I feel like over the course of time, if you buy something that, you know, has value, it's going to either hold its value or go up in value. But when you said about the credit card, that goes back to financial literacy because a lot of times people were taught, like, you know, don't buy, use credit card. Don't use bad. credit card, cash everything. Or if they use credit cards, they do it irresponsibly and they're using it because they don't have enough money, which that is was the wrong time to use a credit card. <laughs> when I first, that was me in college. Yeah, <laughs> but your, the financial literacy is actually, it makes way more sense to use a credit card, make sure you pay it off. Yeah. But, you know, for all of those things that you just said, it, it really doesn't make sense to use cash at all. Yeah, no credit is actually worse than having bad credit. And so people have to understand that you got to have bank accounts, you got to have credit cards, you have to use those credit cards and pay them off because you want to have good credit. Like, I have an extensive credit history. Look, I worked at Macy's. That was, like, my first job while I was in school. And so I worked at Macy's, and I had to get a Macy's card, you know, to work there. And so that's probably, you know, one of my oldest cards from when I was in high school, but that helps my credit when they could see that card on there, you know. And then I got a Bloomingdale's card, you know, those star cards, and they have such high interest rates. And at that time, I wasn't paying them off, so it really wasn't making sense. But now I just put everything on two different cards, my Delta Amex and my Amex Platinum cards, and that's it. Like, those are the only cards that I use for everything. So let me ask you this. As far as being a radio 
superstar. What made you transition into starting a podcast? And it's interesting because all of you guys on the Breakfast Club has podcasts. Like Charlamagne got the Brilliant Idiots, Envy got the the show with his wife, mm-hmm. the Casey Crew. Yeah, and um, obviously I know you have your podcast. You could say it. <laughs> Lip service. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know if you could come on. You're embarrassed. Already. <laughs> you can't even say lip service. No, noted. Let's say, say it. Lip service. Lip service. <laughs> there you have it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, when she makes that sound, usually something crazy was. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's the diff? What made you want to start the podcast? And what's the difference between having the radio show and the podcast, which is you know a different different form to get the media out there. So, the, you know, I had a lip service show when I was on Sirius. That was actually before I got the morning show. When I was on the, um, with Cypher, they gave me my own nighttime show, Lip Service. And that all came from, I used to do this segment every Wednesday called Slut It Out. <laughs> and very, it was like very, a... Very important segment. Yeah, it was yeah. a funny segment. Yep. Promote that. But it was all women talking. Because, look, when I worked at Sirius, it was a lot of truck drivers used to listen. It was a lot of men. Mm. And so they used to say that, like, men didn't want to hear women on the radio. But it became so popular that they actually gave me my own show because it was really just like regular girls just talking about stuff and you guys get to eavesdrop on the type of things that we talk about. And so it would be like a lawyer, a receptionist, a doctor, like all different types of women, an assistant, like all different types of fields of different women, just kind of talking about like sex and their thoughts about it, things they've done, like funny, funny stories. And so that's how lip service came about. And so when I left Sirius, and went to iHeart, no more lip service. And I remember one day, Nicki Minaj came on the show and she was like, you used to be fun. How come, you know, when you used to have that show, lips, cause she had been on it. And um, I was like, she's right. I do probably need to bring, and people would like always talk about it and be like, man, why don't you bring lip service back? And so I did a couple of one-offs. I had August Alcina on and I had Mila J on. And we just did like a one-off and they did really well. And so then my friend Scotty, he owns Engine Room, where I do the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I've known him since I was in college. And so my friend Scotty was, actually, I was in high school. He was in college. He's actually the person that got me my job interning at Wu-Tang and introduced me to them. He was um, best friends with my ex-boyfriend in school. They went to Howard. And so that's how I knew him. And we, I don't keep in touch with that guy. But me and Scotty, you know, are like really, really good friends. And so he was like, you can do your podcast here. He was like, you have to do it. And so I was like, okay, it's too many people telling me you need to do it. So I brought it back. So how is that as far as you're producing the show as opposed to being talent on the show? Um, it's a lot of work. You know, but I care about it. So for that, like that, for me, is something that's more like... Passion project? Yeah, because you got to understand, I'm up there with the guys every day. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I kind of need that. And I also feel like we need that. Like, women need that. You know, a lot of guys have learned things to make their women happier. And so it's important for... Uh, <laughs> it's educational. You've done educational. a great service. We should put it in the educational category. To the community, for sure. Yeah. And I also feel like for artists that, and other people that have things they want to promote, and there's not like a lot of spaces to have those conversations. So there might be times where they're like, such and such has an album coming out. We want to try to do something with lip service because it's that type of project. You know, like I remember Lada was on Twitter, Twitter and she tweeted out, I, I want to do lip service. I reached right out to her like, hey girl, when you want to do it? And it was during the pandemic. But even like, you know, for people to come on there and you get to see a different side of someone. I feel like that's important to understand somebody. You get to really see people's personalities. Like, I remember YG was on there. And before he came on, 
they were nervous, like, well, I don't know if this is his type of thing. You know, he doesn't really. And he was, like, really fun when he came on the show. Or even, like, Yo Gotti came on, The Baby. Like, we've had a lot of people on there. I think King Von, that's one of our most popular episodes. Mm, and I was just talking to Sada Baby because he just did it. And he was saying that that King Von interview, you know, he was, like, he was glad people got to see his personality like that. Because it's, like, fun conversations. And I feel like guys will talk different when it's a room full of women. You know, and it's a different type of conversation. Do you look at it as a brand? Obviously, you're doing the tours. There's merchandise that comes with it. Are, are we seeing maybe network television for, for, for lip service? Is that yeah, a vision? Yeah, there's a few people. We actually had a deal at one point, and it got a little crazy because it was just too many executives in and out. Like, the person that brought us in left, and the next person got fired, and then, I, and then the next person came in and was like, let's do another pilot. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is the right place for us. But... Um, yeah, and there's so many different places that it could go, mm -hmm. I feel like. And, you know, we work really hard on it. Like, I'm going to do it regardless, but I do feel like that could happen sometime soon. So I see you you working with a few people in our space, crypto, stocks. Mm -hmm. um, is, are you investing in crypto? Are you investing in stocks? Light, well, stocks, yes. Crypto, lightly. Okay. Lightly. I'm, you know, I'm watching it. I like to get my feet wet and see what happens so I feel comfortable. That I did the same thing with stocks. Yeah. Like, I invested a little just to kind of sit back, see what happens. And with stocks, it's, like, very diverse for me. So I have long-term investments, and then I have some things that I check, like, every couple of weeks, and then I try to figure it is, out. Is there a strategy when you're picking a company, or are you looking at, I'm investing in it as a consumer? I'm going to be an owner, too. What's your... What's your Plan I might you. ask you, like, what should I put on my watch list? Uh, we've had that conversation. <laughs> just, just, watch, just, just watch, watch Market, Market Mondays. Yeah. That's it. We've had that exactly. Conversation. Yeah. And it is. It, it really is just like watching other people. Look, there's a lot of great apps that you could go on. You guys know I use Public, mm -hmm. you know, and you can see what people who are in the finance world are talking about. And so they give a lot of great advice. You can see what other people are buying, and you can see the reasons why they're buying it. Mm -hmm. And so those things are important to me. I read the news. I watch what's about to happen. I see what's going on with this company. And you're not, it's not always, obviously, risk-free, because sometimes unexpected things happen. I remember I invested in Under Armour, and mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be, like, amazing for me when yeah, I did it. that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. I was like, Steph Curry, his name was on <laughs> it, and, like, you know, he's an ambassador for it. Yeah. It's going to be amazing, and I invested in that, and then that did not, you know... Which stock has worked out the best for you? Um, Lyft. Good one. I would say that was a good one for me. Yeah. And and I like to do IPOs when I can, when I feel like it's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I wouldn't knock myself over that, right? Because yeah. at the time when you're thinking about investing, you're talking about Steph Curry, MVP of the NBA. It was a long time. And it was early on. Right. And then at that time, you had Cam Newton, MVP of the NFL. Then they had Tom Brady. So it, it made Bryce Harper was there. Yeah. It so made it made sense. sense, but, and this is a valuable lesson that we learned in investing, mm -hmm. like, we don't have to recreate or try to reinvent who's the greatest sports apparel company that we know, Nike, Yeah. right? And so if they're a publicly traded stock, before we go to the, the, the up-and-comer, let's go with the established one. And Nike had dipped, that would have been a great time, because yes. now it's bad, it bounced back a lot. <laughs> this is true. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. <laughs> but see, I really do pay attention, you know, to yeah. what's going on. And so, and I think it's so much easier now with the apps, like that you can just go on an app 
and buy just uh, fractional stocks so you don't have to buy, invest, because people think that you have to have a lot of money yeah. to mm -hmm. invest in the stock market, but you don't really have to. And I always feel like the best way is to just do what you can when you can do it. And then obviously I have like my IRA, my 401k, and all of those things that are really safe for me. Safe place. Yeah. So how important is it for you to collaborate and work with women? And it's, I know I see you working with a lot of women. You're talking about the, your Wealth Wednesdays. Is that intentional? Like you, you make an intentional effort to work with women? Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, first of all, because we have unique things that we have to deal with. Even like me working with Coach Jesse and Queen Afua and doing things with these women because even with our bodies, like with women having fibroids, we see a lot more conversations about that. Mm -hmm. And that's important because that affects black women more than anybody else. And so... That is something that can cripple someone's life if it goes unchecked. And then they tell you to get surgery when there's other ways you can treat things. And so it's important for me to have conversations like that and give as much information as I can because it's so important to me when a woman can come up to me, a black woman can say, oh my God, I saw your interview with Coach Jesse and I had fibroids and they told me I had to get a hysterectomy. But after I did that, I said, you know what, I'm going to change my diet. I'll do this. I'm going to do the plan. I'm going to do the detox. And then you know, they see a great improvement. And we've had, like, real cases. So when I can see that something is proven and really works, that's important to me. And when I see women in spaces, like, in finance, because I feel like with my own experience with my friends and just even how I was, I didn't know anything about that growing up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're a lot more timid to jump into the stock market because we're very risk-averse and we don't want to, you know, put things, like, out there and it might not work out. And so I just want us to take more risks and, um, and be comfortable doing it. So in, in this space, obviously, you have a multitude of things that you're doing. Is there anybody that looked at you and said, this young lady has talent, I'm gonna grab her under my wings and show her the ropes? I know you, you came to a, a station and it was you, you were the, the, the dominant female, and then obviously Angie came, and I felt like there was a great relationship between you two. Are there any other women in the space that have said, you know what, Angela, if, if anything I could do to, to offer you assistance, let me do it. And vice versa, have you done that to any young ladies in the upcoming in the industry? I don't want to not name somebody that might help me, but I don't really, I didn't get too much of that. Like, I, and that might be my own fault, because I'm also not the type of person when I was younger, and I wish I would have did this to reach out and ask for help, or be like, will you be my mentor? I've never really had a mentor. And so I do try to do things like, look, even Paris, right, she works for me. And when I first met her, she moved to New York from D.C. She was working in a showroom, and she asked me to be her mentor. And I was like, look, I'll tell you what. Because being a mentor is a big responsibility, mm -hmm. in my opinion. You know, and um, you can't be everyone's mentor. And so I told her, why don't we just, I'm going to invite you out to certain things because you're new here, and let's see how it goes. And then she ended up working with me because I really gave her responsibilities. And I think doing that, because as a mentee, you have a responsibility, too. You can't just say, let's go for coffee and sit down. Because time, we all know how valuable our time is. We don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And so I would, if you can be valuable and offer services in any type of way that can be beneficial and show me that you're really serious, because I only want to mentor somebody who I feel like really wants it. You don't want to mentor somebody just so they could come to the party with you, mm -hmm. you know, or so, so they can get invited to your whatever. And so I just feel like if you want somebody to mentor you, you have to approach them and say, look, you know, this is how um, I can help you. I see you do this. I see you do that. I can help with this and offer that help. And I've had a lot of people that have offered to help me that I actually have started to work with. Even like um, 
and I love this girl, Olanike is her name, and she used to work in the airport, and I would go through TSA, and she would always be like, I applied for the internship, you know, at, um, at, at Power, and I really want to come intern for your show. And so I made sure that I let them know, hey, and I, I told her to forward me her resume, and I forwarded it for her. And then she ended up coming to work at the station as an intern. And then she would always be like, do you mind if I come with you to whatever event you're going to just so I can learn what you're doing and help? So then I started letting her come. And she didn't tell me she quit her job at the airport because all of a sudden she was, like, always available. And I'm like, girl, she's not Like, you know, she ended up really, like, coming on the road with me, working with me, and then getting a job. You know, a job opportunity came up at um, Atlantic, and she ended up getting a job there and then going to work for OVO. And then now she's completely shifted, and she's doing interior design. But, you know, it's stories like that that are people, you know, she wanted it. And I, wouldn't, I would never have told her to quit her job, but she did that on her own. But that's somebody that was really like, and she didn't even tell me. Like, I didn't know for months until later on. She's like, yeah, actually, I quit my job. So before we wrap, what's, what's your five-year, 10-year vision board? Like, we have this conversation a decade from now. What do you hope to actually have in place? Like, what's your goals to actually? Well, I definitely want my cup franchise to be uh, taking over. So five years from now, ten, I want to see that grow and grow and grow. Like, to where you have them um, in so many different places because, you know, obviously Starbucks is the biggest, but I feel like there's a space for Cup to really take over in that place. And so I can see that happening because the way our franchise model is, we're trying to make it affordable so that people who want to buy into the franchise can do it. And that, so that's definitely one of my goals. Also, when it comes to real estate, I just want to have some nice luxury Airbnb rentals that I can do. And I really kind of want to be more involved with interior design because it's just something that I love. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then what I'm also hoping, even with lip service, if I'm not doing it myself personally in five years, I want to have somebody else, like another group of people, of, of women, who kind of like can fill that space that I can produce the show. Mm. Because I would love to produce shows instead of um, always Being having to be it. on. <laughs> yeah, 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 so I would like to be able to do that more. And then, of course, I went to school for writing. That's always been my passion. And so I'm pretty sure I'll have a book out. Yeah. Speaking of books, you're on the board of the... New York City Public Library? Is I'm an ambassador for the New York Public Library. Yeah, how did that come about? Uh, so, growing up, I was always going to the library. I read, I read books all the time. I have a book club and everything. Like, I'm really big into, um, you know, literature. And that was just something I did. Like, the book club, I just was like, I want to do a book club one day. And my partner, Tony, in the coffee shop, he is the type of person, I tell him I want to do something, and the next day he got a flyer, and he's asking me what date do I want to start. And so I told him that. Next day he had a flyer. And so we were doing it at his store. He used to own these Woodstock stores, these mm -hmm. sportswear stores. And so the point of it was for me to, like, elevate these authors, because I feel like authors don't get enough attention. You know, there are certain celebrities that their books will become bestsellers because they have a great platform to be able to promote. They could do a book tour, but uh, most authors can't do that. And so I really wanted to provide a space for authors to be able to be heard and for people to come in and see them and ask questions. So they turned into like town hall meetings. And so the New York Public Library approached me about being an ambassador. They've never done that before. And so that's really how it happened. And mm -hmm. I, when, you, when you said the franchisee thing, it made me think a lot of times when people try to become a franchise, franchisee, they usually have to be an accredited investor. And I know you said you're going to change some of the restrictions that are held people back. Are you specifically looking for people of color to yes. 
Very intentionally. Yeah, very intentional. Okay. And, you know, that's the point of it. And then we also want to make sure that we give them, like, all the proper training. And so that's all part of it. We're really um, in the beginning stage of starting this whole program that's going to help people become baristas but also become business owners and franchise owners. Perfect. So I heard that you are an avid watcher of Shark Tank and you actually are interested in business plan development. You're the first person I've ever heard in life that's actually <laughs> passionate about business plan. That's like being passionate about algebra. So, um, I do enjoy algebra. She went to Wesley and <laughs> Yeah, we don't all have that level. I'm actually really good at trigonometry. I was yeah, really? you have a much higher education. Have you ever used it? Us. No, but that's the only class I ever got an A plus in. We, well, you got to understand, we're, 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 we're public school kids, state college type of guys. So, you know. <laughs> Big difference. It's <laughs> yeah. actually a smarter way to go. Yeah, some may say. Some, yeah. Yeah. some may say the underdogs are on top. This is true. Um, so, uh, what advice can you give to somebody um, as far as starting a business plan and dissecting business plans, things of that nature? The reason I love Shark Tank is because of the whole pitch, right? You get to see people pitch their companies, their uh, businesses. And so it helped me learn a lot about pitching things, right? Because what they really care about is numbers and how is this going to be profitable? Why should I invest in it? And so I feel like I do business plans sometimes when I have something just for my own self. Like when I did the lip service tour, I wrote a whole business, I did a whole business plan for the tour. I don't, and. <laughs> to pitch to who? To, well, I just to have it in place. Just to, have just to, it, just like, to yeah, because it helps me to. Make sure it makes and, sense. And, I, and I'll tell you why, but I did actually end up using it as a deck and getting, you know. Sponsorships. Sponsorships, yeah, yep, yep, yep. But it's good to have it on yeah. hand because you don't know when you'll need it. If you have a business, you want to be able to run into somebody and they say, oh, what is it? Oh, well, can you send me something? And be able to send it within 10 minutes. And that's important to me, that I have something ready to go that mm -hmm. is, you know, that looks good. And I also feel like if you have to spend some money on getting somebody to help you do your business plan, then that's a great investment because that's something you're going to use for multiple people and want to send to everyone. But the reason why I like business plans is because it really helps you summarize what your business is so you can explain it to people and even to digest that yourself because you don't want to just start a business and not even be able to explain why or what it is. And then to also look at what else is in the market. Because when you do that, you're, you're researching what other businesses are doing, how they're doing, what they're successful at, how you're differentiating yourself from those businesses is important. Mm -hmm. It kind of keeps you on track. And then talking about your team. Who is your team? Right? That's important for people to know also. And then what's your plan? What are the financial goals? And what do you see happening? So explain how this is going to make money. And all those things are important if you ever want to get any type of funding. But not even just funding. If you want to get a grant or be able to apply for anything, you have to be ready. Yeah. So I can even imagine somebody trying to pitch something to you. You're looking for every one of these things. <laughs> this is a tough sell. You know what? People will try to pitch things for me and ask me for money, and I'll tell them, get me a business plan, and they n no one's ever done it. No. That's the line. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, get me a business plan yeah. because that's how I know you're serious. I have people approach me like, oh, I want to open this business. Can you give me some money? Like, and, I've t and they've been mad that I've said, okay, get me a business plan. Let me know what the overhead is going to be. Can you show me where you plan on opening the business? Can you tell me how much it's going to cost? You know, give me all of those details, and no one has ever done it. So obviously the pandemic, most people weren't open at brick and mortar, but you took the risk of saying, hey, this is my vision. You had the idea. What was the risk reward ratio when we're doing it? I think that being able to negotiate a lease during the pandemic was a good opportunity. Mm. 
because the space I got is amazing. It's on the corner, brand new building, floor to ceiling windows. We wouldn't have been able to afford that, I think, at another time. Yeah. And so that really was a benefit for us. And then even me having time to think, I usually am so busy, I'm all over the place. And during the pandemic, I took a lot of walks around Brooklyn that I've never, you see, so, you see things so differently when you walk than when you drive mm. and, or when you're riding in a car. And so I walked around a lot and that's really, really how I got some of my best ideas. And so I was walking around and I was like, I'm gonna open a coffee shop. And I immediately called my realtor, Sarah, Sarah Golan. She's amazing. I called her and I was like, I wanna open a coffee shop. And she was like, okay, let's start looking. Like anything I say I wanna do, she's on it. And so we were going and I never would have time to do this. We were looking at spaces. We looked at a lot of different places. And this one that we saw, we kept calling the, um, the owner of the building, and he was not calling us back, but he was on vacation, we didn't know. And we were like, paying, like, oh my God, why aren't they calling us back? Don't they wanna rent this space out? Because we decided we really wanted a corner location with outdoor seating, mm -hmm. and so we got it. And so I think it's a matter of, you know, we knew what we wanted, and then when we saw what we wanted, we, she's really great at negotiating, and as far as like all the things that we managed to get, I would never have even asked for it, because I would never think anybody would do it. But it was definitely a period of time that you could negotiate a good price on things. And then just even for me to have time to build something that I normally wouldn't have time for because I was around. Mm, yeah, because a lot of people, like, they would, as an owner, you're thinking, where am I going to get income from? Mm -hmm. Because there's a pandemic. But yeah. you used it to your advantage. What I, I'm interested in, how long was the lease? Was it like, hey, we can get this price. Can we lock it in for five years, 10 years? Like, how, how did you go about that? We did a 10-year lease. Ooh. And I think when you're building out a space, it's... Um, I think it's a five and a five, though. Mm -hmm. But it's a 10-year lease. But when you're building a space up, you don't want to, like, not get a, a long lease because you want to make sure that you're going to be there because you invested so much into it. Mm -hmm. You know, we invested a lot into, like, the design of the space. And everybody that designed our space is black, black and brown people. And so from our architect to our designer to the plumber, like, everything. And we were really intentional about that, too. And we're going to have a wall of plaques so you can see what each person looks like. Because you know how they always say, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm -hmm. We want people to come in there and be like, oh, okay. Because they'll act like it's really hard to find a plumber or to find an architect. And there were so many good uh, designs that were submitted to us. We actually had a difficult time narrowing it down. But I've heard people say it's difficult to find that, and it's really not. Mm. So who is the team that incorporates Angela Yee? Like, as far as your, your account, and you got a business manager, you got a road manager, you got a man, like, what, what do you have in place? Who do you have in place? Great question. So I do have an accountant, and I just recently got a business manager, so I've never done that before, but I feel like things are happening so rapidly, I don't want to, you know, lose control. And it's hard for me to give up control because I do so much stuff, like, myself, and I'm really hands-on. Um, my partner... Uh, Tony, he's great in my in the coffee business and in my press juice business, and then obviously styles as far as um, as uh, juices Juice for life. life. And then you know I have a hair store in Detroit also called Private Label Extensions, yeah. and so Mikey is my partner in that business. And I have a um, agent. I love my agent for radio. Her name is Heather Cohen, and she's amazing. Like she is really great at. Um, making sure that I'm in the right rooms and in the right spaces and in the right conversations and advocating for me when I'm not there. And so that's so different for me because I had a different person before who was awful and really didn't do anything for me. And like, talk about a bad contract. Like, I feel like, you know, sometimes you sign something and you just have to deal with what you signed mm -hmm. and pay it out and just keep it moving. 
And so I had a situation like that. But some people might be like, oh, I'll never get an agent. But I feel like she's, um, she's done so much for me even before she was on board that she deserves it. Like, you want to pay people and feel like they earn their check. Mm. And so that's how I feel about Heather. And then, um, you know, I have my lip service team, and I have Dan who produces the podcast, and he does a lot of stuff for me with that. Um, is that my whole team? Oh, Paris. And she does all of my bookings, Paris, and um, HO from Chase Republic. They do my bookings. What does your business manager do? Um, so that is, as far as like all these different financial responsibilities I have, like for instance, they might do something like check on my insurance rates. Pay you your know, pay your bills for you? No, I actually pay my own bills. Okay. I'm, I don't give up that. Not playing that game. No, we ain't playing. They can see my account, but they can't. Access it. Yeah, they can't like do anything. So she can see my statements and my accounts, but she can't pay stuff or take money out. Uh, and not that I wouldn't trust them, but I just don't even want to, you know, have to blame yeah. it. I check my bank account first thing in the morning every day. Same. All of them. Yep. I check. It's the first thing I do when I wake up. I don't even check my text messages. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the first thing I do. I want to see if some payments came in. Yeah. I want to see if something went out. I want to make sure that I really watch my money. And so it's important to me. Everybody should do that because I just can't, I don't have enough that I feel like I can't watch it myself and pay my bills myself. I mean, I have some things on auto pay and some things, I pay my mortgage every month on, um, auto. on the property. I, well, the reason I do it is because I overpay it. I just okay. do different amounts. Knocking the, knocking the years off of the mortgage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I always overpay my mortgage. Yeah. Smart. Yes, very important, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, when, when you started getting big, bigger contracts than you did at Series 45, in these early stages, before you were as financially responsible as you are <laughs> now, uh, did you make a splurge or was there something in your mind that you've always wanted and when you got to that number, you said, I'm going to get it? Uh, I would have to say my first big check came, actually, it was courtesy of um, Top Dog. <laughs> Top door at the ENT. Yeah. Oh, nice. And it was a um, it was a nice six figure check. It was the biggest check I had ever gotten. What was it? What was it in relation to? So when Kendrick did that deal with Reebok, he told them that they should take care of me for bringing him to the table with it would because you... they were trying to reach um, they were trying to reach him to get Kendrick for a really long time and they couldn't. And so I called him and th it was interesting. I called Top Dog and I was like, Hey, Reebok's trying to reach you. Got them on the phone like a minute later. And, um, you know, then they were going to meet in Vegas. I think it was like a Floyd Mayweather fight. And so then the guy, um, my boy Damien, who was at Reebok, was like, yo, you need to fly to Vegas because I don't feel like the meeting is going to happen, you know, if you don't come. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I went out to Vegas and, um, you know, made sure they met. And they ended up doing a deal. Now, me, I probably would never have really, like, been like, oh, I want to get paid for that. Because people get paid for that, but I never... I just thought I was doing a favor for somebody. Yeah. And they said in the meeting, the first thing Top Dog said was, y'all got to take care of Angela, though. And what'd you, so what'd you do with the money? Oh, that was when I bought my house. Oh, oh. you bought the house with it? So yeah. I told you she's financially responsible. There you have it. <laughs> Thanks, Top Dog. <laughs> nah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you for joining us. Um, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank All you, guys. Angela I appreciate y'all. And I love what you guys are doing. And everybody always says how much they love when y'all are on the show. So... Thank you for returning the favor. It means a lot to me, too. Uh, Thank good. you. Angela Yee, ladies and gentlemen.
needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.